Have you ever wondered what exactly meteorology has to do with meteors? Welcome to What Is It About the Weather podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. This week, well, well, you know what? We'll hit on that idea of meteorology. And I'll, guys, again, I'll catch you guys up on my AMS presentation since there seems to be some interest in that. But as always, before we get to all that, let's take a couple minutes and talk about, well, this, you know, plain old weather. I got that book. I mentioned that, that I had an interest in a photo book that was done by the Royal Meteorological Society and showed up, kind of flipped through it. There's some of them I want to do a little more deeper dive on, if you will. But I guess one of the things that hit me is, I, you know, in looking at those, I've taken some pretty decent weather pictures myself over the years. Now, these are all people, to my knowledge, they're not professional photographers. And I've seen some amazing weather photos, both from professionals and from amateurs over the years. And this was a nice compilation of, of some. I, I thought they were a little lightning heavy. Maybe if I was going to critique the book, it felt a little too much on that side. I, one of the things I like about weather pictures is when people capture maybe stuff that you don't see all the time, but it doesn't have to be. I like weather within the context of other things. Yeah, it's kind of like this podcast, right? And some of these were maybe a little too much focused in my mind on the weather and not so much on the idea of how weather blends, I guess, because sometimes, you know, the weather can be the framing instrument, if you will, for a photo versus the focus. Any case, enjoying the book, doing my thing with it. Also, for those, you know, if you have somebody in your life who professionally works in meteorology, hopefully this weekend you, and again, this is the weekend of February 5th, 6th kind of time frame. But the 5th officially is national. So earlier in the week, we had Groundhog's Day, which thing here in the U.S., for those that are listening internationally, where a rodent, a very large rodent comes out of its little burrow and, you know, whether it sees its shadow or not, in other words, whether it's sunny or not, determines whether we're going to have spring soon or spring later. Yeah, very scientific. Particularly, we've talked about that before, right? <laughs> Particularly given that uh, it's about, you know, 30% accurate, which just means, you know, probably determine what's going to happen. Any case, that happened. But Weather Person's Day was on the 5th. And so if you've got somebody in your life, like I said, and you didn't take the time, maybe, you know, do it post that. I don't think anybody will complain if you say happy National Weather Person's Day to them. I'm sure they would still appreciate it. I also want to thank everybody who's followed up on weather rituals. I've gotten a few responses about specific rituals. I, you know, I saw that Aaron pasted on on the Patreon post about some, something I find interesting as well. well he, he does this thing where he likes to, I guess, witness what happens when severe weather takes place. And that can be, you know, because he works in the water world space as well, it can be things tied to floods and, and whatnot. But I, I, I can appreciate that too. I don't know that I always do that, but I, I do take time when I see something that looks like a weather event to me 
to try to understand what happened. So it might be I'm out doing a hike or something and I see a bunch of trees down and I'll go back later to find out if, you know, what drove that to happening. Was it a, was it a tornado? Was it a, you know, just a straight wind type of event, whatever it might've been. So I can appreciate that ritual as well, but keep that out of my way. I, I do continue to hear uh, different things from different folks, and I'm interested in what yours are. Like I said, it's just it's, and, and I also heard from people that are going, I've never really thought about it that way, but now I probably will find myself thinking about how if if weather influences certain behaviors of mine. So you know the drill. What is it about the weather? Gmail.com is probably the simplest way to let me know, but you can do it the other ways too. You can find me on Twitter, Mark underscore Jelinek. You can find the podcast. What is it about the weather? On Twitter, you can also, as Aaron's done, post it on the the Patreon notice as well, Patreon.com/slash/weather, and you'll find all the posts in there. And you know, not a lot of people comment, but it's just another an outlet if you want to share and and know that it's going to be shared with some people that uh, find you know they're maybe a little more attached to the podcast than just a general audience. Any case, had a couple. It's it's been kind of a circular week for me with weather. There were a few things that happened, and. All of them had a touched on weather, and it, it, I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those things where it's the reminder how things kind of flow in patterns, right? So there's a couple shows I'm watching on TV, and each one of them this week had an interesting weather phenomenon. One of them was something called ball lightning, and another is one that had a tornado. I mean, a tornado was kind of a big component of what's going on, and you know, I always enjoy that. Now, it, again, I can go through things for a long time that don't seem to have a lot of weather or the weather seems more background. And this was very much in your face. So, so that was kind of, so had, for those that know me, no, I, I spent, I don't know how many years of my life, uh, 10 plus 12, probably about 12 with a break in there to go to grad school, living in Chile. Specifically, I lived in just outside of Santiago, Chile. I mean, technically I was at times I was probably, uh, City limits, I was never within the city of Santiago, if you will, uh, or the, the neighborhood that would be called downtown Santiago, but I was within the one of the communas within the broader Santiago region. And in Chile, there's not a huge meteorology, climatology community. It's just not that big. And part of the reason is that Chile's weather is dominated by the Pacific Ocean, just due to the layout of the country. And so the weather patterns themselves are a little more set in their ways, if you will. It's not to say there's no deviations from that, but you tend not to get a lot of places within the country that need tornado warnings or that need thunderstorm warnings on a on a regular basis. Doesn't, doesn't mean they don't happen, but it's just not a real common thing. And so it's not like the community here in the U.S. where you've got a big open area with a lot of, you know, with hundreds of millions of people, and and this can hold true in other countries as well, that are actively influenced by weather that's kind of fluid and changing uh, quite often. And so I worked with people at two universities there. First one I worked at was Universidad de Chile, and Someone who had kind of been a mentor to me had some opportunity when I first came back after I finished my graduate school work, and I did some getting back into hydrology. I did some streamflow forecasting there for a project that uh, was 
funded by the government because they were trying again and i think i've mentioned this before chile is a lot like the western u.s and some other areas around the world where much of the water comes from snowpack annual snowpack and as that melts so they were trying to better understand that for dealing with drought years it's understandable so i worked on a project but did some other things there one of them was developing a visual representation of understanding the changing snowpack behavior based on satellite imagery. So it was back when they were first doing some early estimates, not, I won't say the very first, but decent estimates of snowpack, right? And that's something that's continued to evolve since that time as well. But the project was pretty simple. It was taking that imagery and trying to develop a system where people could sort of plan ahead, just understanding how the snowpack was evolving and changing throughout the hydrological season. And I think up until a couple of years ago, they were still running at least a modified version of what I created. So that always made me feel good. But I worked with a group there. And, and again, I worked at a second university, but I kind of knew everybody in this community. And I was following this week that... I saw a story, again, it hit me in English. I wasn't necessarily following the Spanish version where someone I knew, right? And this was not somebody I worked close with, but but again, because this community is pretty small, somebody that literally, I mean, I walked by their office on a regular basis and did have some interaction with, was appointed minister of the environment in Chile. And it's just sort of wild to me when those, those things kind of happen, right? Here's a country, it's not a big country. It's a country of about 15 million people. So not tiny by any means. And here was somebody that I knew that, you know, happened to be at that same university. And I, I even remember because this individual was in charge of, it's not uncommon for de departments to have like annual seminar series where they have outside speakers that maybe are coming into the country that they'll have speak. But a lot of times they, they draw on their local community as well. And since I was kind of new and only going to be there for a period of time, they had me give a presentation and she was in charge of putting it together. Right? I, I specifically remember that. And it just, you know, what more can I say than congratulations to Misa Rojas. I, I, I think it's great. I, you know, it was just one of those things that caught me off guard that, you know, I, I feel honored that I knew somebody. Like I said, I didn't know her real well, but I, you know, I know of her enough and, and I think she'll do a great job. So congratulations to her. Um, it's kind of awesome that, you know, I, I just, we have these things, right? You, you go around and you're always kind of surprised by maybe somebody ends up running something that you, maybe you never thought of them in that role or you knew them in a completely different capacity and then they end up doing those sort of things. It was kind of neat. The other thing that caught my attention, and this will get into the main story, like I said, this kind of circle theme, and you'll understand it in a bit of, of why, that, why I'm going to go that route. But the other one was I saw a story about satellites and it got me thinking about meteorology in general and you'll you'll understand the connection so i went to the story and there's a piece of instrumentation that's on the latest satellites that cover kind of the western hemisphere that that are done by NOAA, nasa people here in the u.s but specifically you know of course back in the day when this setup was built it's designed to give coverage to the u.s both you know, over land, but also the oceans that impact us either side of us. And there's a lightning mapper. And if you have not seen, it does some incredible capability of, of following lightning and 
seeing it in a way that we wouldn't see it from the ground. Right. And this kind of gets into what I was talking about for about estimating rainfall over the ocean. Okay. I did, you know, that we talked about in a previous episode where it's not always about what's happening to you and I to understand weather, to understand the behavior of weather. We really need to understand it around the globe. And that means over these vast areas of water where no one is for the most part. And this mapper does precisely that. And it's doing it not just with lightning, but with meteors. And I thought that was really cool. There is a link in the show notes. And I know I mention this all the time, but it's really kind of a neat story. And I highly recommend you go in there and taking a look at it. Uh, it's kind of one of those. I was like, that's just, you know, I walked away from reading the article going, that's really cool. It's a way to think about something, a, a piece of technology and utilizing it, not with what it was designed for, but it turns out to be very helpful, particularly catching these things over water. And I just, I think that's kind of cool because we like to understand what's going on in the skies around us and in the world around us. And satellites are a big component of that, both in monitoring but in the way we communicate and everything else so as another method you know we've seen it with the satellites being able to track the recent volcanic eruptions all these things it's just was kind of a, another cool feature so check that out but it reminded me that meteorology the term has nothing to do with meteors it has to do with a greek word it's like meteoron and meteoron or something like that i'm sure i'm saying it wrong but it has to do with just observing things in the sky right and the, so that's where the phrase comes for an ology. It's no different than any other ology that that got tacked on to it. So, yeah, meteorology really doesn't have anything to do with meteors other than the fact that, yes, there are little tiny meteors like rain and snow and stuff that come from the sky. Uh, but that's it's really more about the skies above us. All right. Now, following along on those circles, I'm going to take you guys very quickly through what I talked about at the AMS meeting. I don't want to delve on it. This isn't, a, you know, the podcast, you get enough of me. So this isn't going to be about me, but I had people who really kind of wanted to know. So the title of the presentation I did was called weather in the void. Now it's not, I started this idea around that device that I've told you guys that I bought, which was this little thing called a Medio tracker. And it really fundamentally started as an idea of what could that device give me that I couldn't get in other ways and how could I leverage it in things that I did. And as I mentioned, I've, I've started getting into bike riding on a regular basis. And one of the things I've noticed when I'm out and about, and this is in a very populous area, right, where you think, oh, we have plenty of measurements, it's all good. It's when I'm actually riding on the road, the conditions are not always, but can be meaningfully different than what I would have expected them to be based on measurements of the devices that are recording the weather around me. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. One is I'm, you know, I'm most of the time when I'm riding around the city, I'm on asphalt, right? But even when I'm out in areas that, Maybe not so close to the big city, but there are places, there are parks and other parts as well that you're going to have a lot of tree coverage and that can influence things. Or because I'm riding right up along the Hudson River, there are times when the Hudson River weather or the influence of that water can impact the weather I'm experiencing when I'm doing a ride. So what I really wanted to do was determine if this device, okay, this is where it started, could be a device 
that could give me information that I can match up with my ride information and how weather is influencing my performance as an athlete on a bike and understanding, you know, maybe parts of detail, but even thresholds. When does heat start to really have an impact on me and matching that heat with humidity? And one of the things that device didn't have was the really the, the ability to add in wind, which as you can imagine, wind changes quite a bit when you're for all those same reasons. But even when I'm on a road where there's trees on both sides, it's not going to be what the wind you would expect to be if you had just a clear open area where a lot of weather measurements are taken. You know, for instance, at airports, you have this big open space. It's just a different breakdown. Okay. And weather that, you know, or winds that might come from a specific direction are not going to have the same free rain depending on where I'm even doing the ride. And that could change, you know, as the road direction changes, because there could be if winds are coming out of the north that for part of my ride, when I'm really going true north, it has the expected impact. But for other times, it is getting sheltered or protected by those trees in a different way. And so I wanted to be able to understand and kind of match that up. So here I went from Weather Gadget, which is kind of a cool idea. So I saw this thing on Kickstarter and got, yeah, that's neat. I'll give that a try to, okay, how can I match it up with what I'm doing? But then to bring it back to the circle is, would that device be able, could I take data from that device and feed it back into a weather forecast of some type? Okay. There's two ways to think about that. One is something real time as an example, I might even be able to use on my bike that it does give me some sort of indicator. Hey, you know, maybe you have hit a wind threshold that you are interested about because you know, it impacts you maybe something more than 10 miles an hour. That's of a headwind. Now this device wouldn't give me that. I've, I've since tried another device, still not perfect for it, but that's the idea is could I get that? Of course, there's always the desire to do some analysis down the road, but for making it for my weather personally, I wanted to know, could my weather and my understanding of my weather in real time be improved? But the other part that really hit me as I was going through this is I've been doing hikes and, you know, went out and did some big adventures out in the Western U.S. and going to places where there's not good measurements. Could that data somehow be used to update or revise a forecast that would give me a better real-time understanding of what's going on in the weather world around me for a variety of the same reasons. Could it give me maybe an understanding of, a, of a approaching frontal boundary when I'm out doing a hike? I had a hike over the winter holidays that I went and did. I was hiking up the highest point in Virginia, and the weather situation was changing. It was a fluid kind of scenario, and I wanted to think about, you know, could this data be useful in that regard? So I did some some example cases, and there were a couple things that I guess my findings came back about because you know I also framed this in the context of why does it matter to more than just me? Because you complete the circle when you start saying, okay, could this data not only feed into something for me, but could it feed into weather models as a whole and what would be involved? So the presentation was really about thinking about it from taking it from that initial step all the way back to the weather models that would have given me weather information to begin with from which I was trying to improve a weather forecast and so on and so on. So it, it completes that circle. And I guess my short answer is 
it's probably not there yet. The technology's not to such a place, but it gets us to a point where we can at least think about it. Because the reality is, as we have more autonomous cars or autonomous vehicles, those all those devices are going to have some way to measure weather. They're going to need to. So understanding what's going on around them, the roads, the conditions, that sort of thing. Some way to sense that. And so I really think that that data could be useful, much like we learn to ingest airplane data into the models for all these areas that are covered. Now, this is never going to cover the ocean spaces and that sort of thing, but it did. It does get to where people that are actively outdoors could go and carry these small devices with them and potentially feed that data back into the models. The challenge with that part of it, and this is the other thing, if you've ever looked at every every mobile telephone company wants to show you how great their coverage is everywhere, right? But I, I did an example where I've been in plenty of places recently where there's two things I don't have, right? One is any sort of connectivity, so I can't update my weather forecast. This These devices could give me that update, but only if then the, all the weather apps, et cetera, were built to ingest that data in somehow on my device, which quite frankly, they're powerful enough now that they could do it, but we're just not there yet, so that I could update my forecast in real time, even if I don't have connectivity. And yes, I've gone enough places where that's the case, and I'm far from the only one. But again, the benefit would be is there were more people like me doing that if there was some way to get that data as maybe coverage improves to those places, it, again, it, it's, it's, there's limitations, but there's potential. And that's kind of what I found interesting. And it, it gets back to the, all these people, these, you know, we've covered a couple of cases of ultra marathoners being caught out in weather, some dying, some just having to be rescued in this past year, that sort of thing. It is kind of a full circle sort of process. So that's what the presentation was about. And, I've still got a long way to dig into the data. I'm, I'm not sure it's a high priority for me. I, I guess my thought process was trying to, you know, understand could it and then think about maybe I'll probably just pick one element of that. It may still get back to the, you know, improving my performance on riding bikes because it's, you know, specifically relevant. But I had some nice follow-up comments of people that found the topic interesting and, you know, maybe one of them drives it in a different direction, truly does get into how hikers or outdoor explorers or people that are going off in faraway places could have a smaller device now that they're getting interesting and, and mobile enough and small enough to where people could get out and do it. So there you have it. It just gets back, like I said, weather gadget to personal weather to everyone's weather, improving the devices, more people needing the devices, making them smaller, making them cheaper. And around we go. So there you have it in a nutshell. Any case, like I said, busy, crazy weather week for me. I ha I've had a lot going on in the workspace as well, of course, touching weather. But I hope you have as well. And as always, maybe this time around, just remember, there's much more to the skies than the weather itself. <laughs>